Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, a Shelf Isolation Special. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your host and the author of The Sisterhood, a love letter to the women who have shaped us. My debut novel, Insatiable, is coming in spring 2021 and it's available for pre-order now. So we're doing something a little bit different as we can't record beside people's bookshelves at the moment. This is our shelf isolation series and we'll be talking to favourite former guests, friends of the Your Booked family and some of the people that we admire the most about how they're using books or not to get through this strange time. Our first shelf isolator is the writer, comedian and actor Sarah Pascoe. Her brilliant books, Animal and Sex, Power, Money are available now. I have been a huge fan of Sarah's for pretty much as long as I've loved comedy. And I'm so excited to hear that she's working on some fiction at the moment. We talked about stealing library books, elaborate lies about hamsters and the book that made Sarah cry so hard she had to pretend she was in the middle of a divorce. Look at your beautiful bookshelves. I know, they're lovely. This is the one advantage of doing stuff at home now, is I can sit in front of my books, which makes me very happy. Very soon. So what um, what can I see behind me? Oh, um, first of all, I was wondering, are you yeah. reading much at the moment? Are you finding it's quite soothing or is it harder to concentrate? Well, at the beginning of the lockdown, I wasn't well. And I and there, and you know that thing where your head is very cloudy? So even though you're lying in bed, you find you can't concentrate. So at the beginning, I was really frustrated. Like, I've got this free time I want to be able to read. Um, but then, yeah, about three weeks ago, it kind of clicked. And I realised that maybe the books that I would read normally aren't the right books for a lockdown. So I'm, being, I'm really kind of splurging. Sometimes I have a thing where I should be reading lots of non-fiction and kind of researching things, but I'm just reading lots and lots of novels and kind of um, memoirs and things like that. So I'm, the current book I'm reading, I'm just about to finish Bernadine Everisto's oh, um, novel. I loved it so which much. I'm really enjoying. It's a good lockdown book because it's so social. It feels like you're making lots of new friends and having lots of conversations with brilliant women. And yeah, it's really good. I've not thought about that. That's such a good point. There's so much kind of joyful noise in that book. Because I know there are lots of books that I want to read and think, oh, I just need time to sit down with it. And I never find the time. And I guess we're all finding the time right now. Have you found time for them now? Yeah. I've just finished a proof that I got sent um, 
it's coming out in July. It is called Belladonna, and the writer is Anbara Salam, and I think it's her second novel. Really enjoyed Ooh. it. Oh, that's great. I think the lockdown timed really well for lots of people with the Hilary Mantel third book, because that was such a massive um, doorstop. And so I did, I did, um, I started reading that at the beginning of the lockdown. I'm about to go back to it. Oh, wow. Are you a fan? Have you read all of those books? Yes. Yeah, I read all of her novels. Um, yeah, I love her. But I love that you have so many books because occasionally people say, oh, I only kind of read on Kindle or I give everything away. Yeah. Do you keep all your books or do you yeah, give them away in I'm London? Really, I've always been obsessive about it. And, and so when I was a, a teenager, this is awful, but um, I didn't have any money. I used to shoplift from the library. To keep, so I would read books and I didn't want to give them back. So I kept them, which is obviously very illegal and wrong. But this is before before they had the scanners when you left. So I would just put them in my bag. So what was the first time you did it? Can you remember the first book you kept? Well, it would have been, I loved lots of storybooks. So I loved Enid Blyton and all of those books. So it was, I was relatively young. So it would have been kind of 9, 10, 11 no, no. I, w- I reckon started at around 11, Leonard Blyton, and then kind of, um, I really liked storybooks. I loved Lynn Reed Banks. I don't know if you ever read her when you were a teenager. Oh, I remember her so vividly. And those books as well that were always like in the classroom. And you know those names yes. of writers and they become like these yeah. celebrities because yeah. you stare at them all year long. Yeah, that's it. So she wrote a book about a hamster called I Houdini who could escape from anywhere. And I really wanted a hamster. Um, and, just, and, and and reading her book, I started lying to a teacher at school that I did have a hamster. And I would all, my show and tell, my stories about the weekend always involved my adventures with this hamster that I didn't have. Yeah, I used to steal books because I couldn't bear giving them back. I wanted to keep them. But I also had to hide them because obviously they weren't mine. And I'm not condoning that at all. I know it's, it was bad, but, but what, the root of it was a compulsion to be able to show what I had read and to look at it and remember what I'd read. I moved out at 18 and then I went to university at 20 and sometimes it's really hard lugging books around and as I got more and more books I had to start leaving them at my mum's house in boxes and I just worried about them all the time like getting damp and damaged and then I bought a flat last year and so for the first time in my life I'm saying they were all together me and my books and that's why it's such a just such a happy thing for me. So those books I thought that has been years in the making. That yes is, uh... yes yeah although I don't keep all books there's I, I I read a lot of crime thrillers and I don't tend to keep those I give them to the charity shop because other people like to read them and I think I'm probably a little bit snobby <laughs> I think that once you know because I guess there are things that you read because you want to know who done it and when, when you know yeah, that what then yeah uh, who are your favorite I crime writers oh I I really like um Kathy Reich's who does a lot with kind of, um, I mean, bones, bones that have been kind of um, old, really old skeletons. I guess I find like forensic pathology really interesting and people, and she was a forensic pathologist. So her book's really good. And Val McDermott is also brilliant. What I love about your own books is the very sort of, you know, the the smart science and the way that you really you know, mm. go into that. And that is that sort of part of that, that passion, that interest in sort of how bodies work and, what bodies do uh, yeah absolutely yeah I think I love biology and also understanding why things happen having someone explain to you well that's because of this or this causes that there's I think there's deep pleasure isn't there in kind of scientific explanation 
What's the best thing that you've discovered? Or are there any kind of, you know, weird scientific facts that are from your reading? Where you're like, I will never forget that. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment. Um, so my non-fiction book, but I haven't finished it. It's called Behave. And it's by Robert P um, Patolsky. And it's about... Um, uh, basically it's about why human beings do really bad things and how and how it happens and the chapter I'm reading at the moment is about us and them and how humans as an ape create a tribe and people are outside it and that's so fascinating because it kind of underlines everything I think it's the most interesting thing especially with what's going on with the virus mm. um, which really really heightens the us and them it's like where did it come from who's to blame why are those people outside um, nurses and key workers yes they're in tribe we like those people <laughs> and 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 um and so that's a really interesting thing to think about at the moment and there's lots and lots of obviously racial tension is absolutely the us and them people decide well these people are i pay my taxes and they're allowed to have this and these people are enemies who are so that's a really fascinating thing to think about i'd love to read that i guess that's kind of what most novels are about as well isn't it that you see a group and you're either trying to keep someone out of your group or get into a different group with novels it's absolutely an exercise in in empathy because essentially a lots of the very good novels take a person that you don't think is like you and it makes you understand them and so the the, the person in the novel it could be like american psycho where the person in the novel is an awful psychopath or um like hannibal those books where it's a it, literally you're sympathizing and understanding someone who would eat you and then um at university we used to study things like so the importance of books like uncle tom's cabin in kind of the end of slavery because a, a white woman writing a book humanizing people which, which obviously she shouldn't have had to do but was a really incredible um moment for people to understand oh we're all human beings and i suppose there are books like that that i think now if one were to read uncle tom's cabin with 2020 eyes yeah. 2020 vision it mm. jars and it's Oh, absolutely. And also, it, it, also that uncomfortableness, the, the recent success and then backlash of American Dirt, I found so interesting because um, I, I actually haven't read it and I made a conscious choice not to read it because I read articles about why it, um, what it was doing. And, but, but I have other friends, like there was a, there's a guy who runs a comedy club who messaged me going, I've just read this incredible book. I think you'd really like it. And then I thought he was joking when he said American Dirt. And I said, oh, are you joking? And he said, no. And I said, do you not know? <laughs> like everyone's furious. And then he read up and he was like, oh no, I see it in a completely different light now. But that, I think it's a really interesting change of the times because those books, no one used to care when like a white man wrote um, memoirs of a geisha. But people were like, oh, what a great book. Not this is cultural appropriation and um, someone out of somebody's culture assuming they can. So it's a really interesting debate in terms of what writers can write about legitimately and I sort of love that now a book still has the power to polarize and make people that angry and a book's on the need and there was a bit yeah. of thinking people are reading this is great yeah absolutely yeah and then and also then people read to go a little bit you know like that D.H. Lawrence Lady Chatterley's Lover they're reading it because it's like oh I'm not supposed to the, the bookshops taking them off the shelves I definitely want one I read a book um, that I got sent as a proof last year and there was a similar sort mm. of controversy oh, about there? it later called yeah. My Dark Vanessa. I author. just read it. I just read My, My Dark Vanessa. Oh, I just what did you it. think? I, I think it's very interesting, the idea of like grey areas, but I also think that the author really flagged that it's not that much of a grey area, even though that the, um, the woman who is the narrator 
doesn't want to see herself as a victim, doesn't kind of align herself with other people. She doesn't see him as an abuser or a manipulative person. But as a reader, it's clearly that. And I thought all of their sexual interactions, I thought if she had, if she had just said, I enjoyed all of the sex with this man, that would have made it so much more complicated. Whereas she didn't, she was manipulated. It's that there were cases that are written about where, which are clearly rape, where she either said no, was unconscious or was drunk. And she and she was in physical pain. So I actually thought that the author made it very clear. This is not OK. Like, it's not that grey an area. What I found so moving and powerful and sad was, as mm. an adult, the way she just couldn't. Fr- because to frame what had happened and to, to see it for what it was, it was it was her life. Mm. And the betrayal yeah. as well. Did you read um, yeah. Three Women? Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, because that's a true story. I found that so... So, because um, obviously, I was going to say it's so horribly realistic. The thing about the story in Three Women, which was true, what was recognised and written about so fantastically was how people who groom choose victims who aren't going to be believed. Which my dark Vanessa didn't. He was he was grooming. He was grooming very intelligent, maybe outsiders, but very intelligent and women, but very beautiful. Whereas I thought the whole thing with the person who experienced exactly the same situation in um, three women was um, lit being caught when they said, why would I go for you? Like, why, why would I go for this like obese, unattractive person? It's, um, it's, it's about power over people. As, as we know, it's not about just lust you can't control. It's not Lolita, but it is, I think what is amazing is that um, as part of a cultural discussion, it doesn't have to all be through tabloid headlines. We can have incredible books written about it, which again are an emotional journey. And I think the reason that My Dark Vanessa might do really well is um, because I think it's a perfect book group book, book because I think, I think there's so many discussion points that she set out really well. And um, did you ever read Tampa? I didn't read that. Who's it by? So Tampa is about four, four years ago, and that's a female t- teacher grooming a male pupil. And so, and so that it, it's really interesting because it, it's all, it's, it's kind of actually, I've put it with a genre that's about kind of um, female sexuality and ownership of sexuality. It's actually in that genre, but it's also, it, it's very unsettling, intentionally so. Um, but, it, but it's interesting to read it within um, that, ki- that kind of book, like My Dark Vanessa. I do love those books that you can feel them shaking you at your core. And they stay mm. with you and the feelings stay with you in a yeah. strange way. When, when I was reading Three Women, um, which I found a couple of times, I felt so overwhelmed. I almost felt nauseous because um, of the rawness about what was being explored. And I was reading it in the bath. And it's one of those times. It was the story about the girl and her teacher that I was reading at the time. And I remember thinking I should maybe stop reading this because this isn't enjoyment, actually. I, and then I turned the page and a big black spider walked out and it was between the pages. And it was so symbolic of how I felt about the book. Like I couldn't put it down. It was like, but it was all it's like it was creeping all over me and all through me because even when I wasn't reading, I was like walking the dog and I was thinking about the stories and the things that I just learned. It's such an incredible work, isn't it? Oh, wow. That's it's so, so powerful. That yeah. is really, really eerie. Yeah. And I, I thought <laughs> really it was eerie. very interesting when it came out and the way it was published. And it was all, you know, this is like the most explicit book that's ever been written about female mm. desire. But it wasn't. The sex, it was the neediness no. and desire. I've been watching um, Normal People um, and oh, I yeah. read the book 
a while ago and I loved it, but it's making me think about the book and that it seems yeah. like a real through line at the moment. All mm. women wanting things and desiring things and being so, so frightened of saying, this is what I need and feeling that's going to be mm. silenced and crushing yeah. that and squashing that and feeling, doing all sorts of dreadful things to themselves because they're trying to hide that need. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? But it is something I think will be reflected back on in publishing and maybe in media in general and going, oh, look, after 1997, we started really listening to women. <laughs> like we really kind of like allowed them to speak. And then I remember at the beginning of podcasting that my two favourite podcasts were My Favourite Murder and Two Dope Queens. And I kept thinking, why am I fizzing every time I listen to them? Like fizzing with like joy and interest and happiness and I realized I never hear two women talking to each other not interrupted by men and that's no that's no that's nothing against men it's not that I don't like or I'm not interested in but I work in a quite a male-dominated environment which you just get used to never ever do I just get to listen to women's conversations without men being a part of it and sometimes it means the conversation's really different it's like hearing someone build a room and that people yeah. are building something together. And maybe, I think you know much more um, than I do about this, but with the, the that masculine thing, I think it's something that is mm. social and not inherent or biological. But I think there's lots right. of being a man that's kind of, oh, I'm going to be bigger and better and I'm going to either, my point yeah. will undermine yours or I'm going to talk over yeah. you. And with women, well, actually, it's more symphonic. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think what it is actually is that um, you're, you're right that there's a real social element because in terms of being socially safe, lots of us have to adopt behaviours right from school. It's kind of peer taught. And for men, that is um, kind of uh, be high status. That, that's where men are safest. A low status man is at risk in lots of ways, like in our evolution in the tribe, but also in a business meeting in his place of work and if he's a teenager at school on the bus like you have to look after yourself and for girls we learned a lot of us learned a different kind of social safety which was about being quiet or fitting in don't say weird stuff don't be loud um, and that obviously isn't true of everyone it's not a cut and paste boys and girls thing but it is sometimes a thing that's kind of we've learned and been had a positive reinforcement and then carried on do you have any sort of literary heroes or heroines or people in books that you'd like to be friends with or people who sort of inspire you to oh, really? speak up and be? Oh, that's interesting. In terms of like fictional characters, I really loved, I always think about Sarah in Graham Greene's End of the Affair. Mm. I, I, I always thought she was really wonderful. Usually I don't think, oh, I'd like to be friends with that person because usually in a, in a novel, what you get to see is how flawed people are. So they're never like super attractive. Oh, I tell you the book that's really fantastic for a character you'd want to be friends with is Less. Oh, I just read that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it isn't it a perfect book? Oh, there's this detail where I think it's when he is possibly leaving Germany and he's really tired and he's accidentally taken sleeping yeah. pills in like too many. Oh, okay. And he thinks it's his yeah. reflection and then the guy moves and he has that sort of, what's going yeah. on? And I just thought <laughs> that is so lifelike. Yeah, and um, I think that character, everywhere he is, even in, when he's in the depths of misery and pain, you'd so happily have a cocktail with him, wouldn't you? Or sit next to him on a train, yeah. There's a real genuine sweetness to that book, which I think is really mm. rare. And I love that it's yeah. a sort of, 
it's a hero's journey and a love story. Yeah, yeah. And it's cynical and romantic at the same time, which is, that's really difficult to combine both of those things. I love the, the social observations and the politics. And it's very, mm. um, it kind of reminds me of Evelyn War in places, the way, the oh, sort yeah. of, you know, very sweet kind of snippiness. Yes. And, and also actually a little bit like Jane Austen, how Jane Austen would do like social commentary of like a group of people at a party. Mm. He absolutely does yes, that to definitely. go, well, this is going on and that's happening. And yeah. Are you a Jane Austen fan? Do you have a favourite of hers? Um, I really love Jane Austen, but I didn't read her until after university. So I felt like I was always very late. I think I was one, I was really snobby about her before I read her because I thought she would be dull. And um, I don't know, and like, I know she's Regency, but I thought she, I, in my head, she was dull and Victorian talking about bustles and why women needed men. And so when I did read her in my, I would have been like 26, 27, I was angry with because my two best friends, we all did an English degree together. And I was furious with them. I was like, why didn't you tell me she was funny? Like, <laughs> if you told me she was funny, I would have been so on board with this. Um, my favourite is Pride and Prejudice, but not because I think it's an most amazing love story, because I don't. But in terms, again, the social commentary, the characters, um, her mother, Mrs. Bennett, is the one of the funniest characters in literature, if not the funniest. She's so funny. Really, really funny. And Mr. Bennett is such a, a subtle yeah. villain. Lizzie needs him to give her some sort of like fibre yeah. and he's just not really there. Yeah, I know. And it's like, I know that the system lets women down. Because, and obviously he'd failed as a father because his daughter's not only, well, because he's not financially provided for them and they can't inherit the house. So in a way, he is such a loser, but he does have a kind of sweetness about him as well. He's a gentleman, isn't he? He's not kind of angry and aggressive. He's just, yeah, he fails by his weakness, I guess. But he's, I feel like he really relies on Lizzie to keep her mum in check, you know, because she yeah, just sort of yeah. lets things run away. And you're like, come on now, United Parenting Fund. Yes. It's a, I yeah. think there's a lot of pressure on those kids. But I've always, always wondered about Mary because she's so overlooked mm. and she's so, she's yeah. always a punchline. I'm like, there's more to that girl. I have to know. And also, yeah. I would so love to yeah. write a sexy sequel where Lydia does run off with Wickham and they get into sort of Vanity yeah. Fair-esque troubles mm, that's a great idea I, there's a really interesting guardian article about mary because a couple of years ago there were five projects i don't even know if they got made or if they got made and we don't know there were five films about mary because she's always obsessed people um because the little bits you do hear of her are so weird and also quite often the less somebody speaks the more that you project onto them so actually it's often the mary style character that people go that's me <laughs> i'm that one the quiet one there's more to me than you could ever know yes yeah yeah I, re I love books about siblings because I've got five younger sisters mm. and I just in lockdown oh, okay. uh, reread I Capture the Castle have you read that oh I love that yes it's the one she starts off with in, in the sink doesn't she yes that famous first line yeah I really love that book and I um, just I think five siblings is a lot isn't it so do you like little men sorry do I like little women yes yeah um, little, little women um the next sister um beth we yeah um she's called beth but she was a joe uh we had it read to us yeah i loved it yeah she hated it so i sort of snuck off yeah. and read it on my own oh, but really? i do yeah 
having, well, I love the film so much. And I always felt a little bit, I think about this a lot, Meg's makeover. And I think, okay, because of having the big family and my mum was quite, strict about you know and there wasn't sort of a it's like you know it's vaguely communist like you'll wear the same thing and be glad and I I wanted to make over like Meg oh, okay yeah and it broke my heart that everyone was like oh the silly tart how dare she want a nice dress how dare she want to sort of get so yeah. and I felt that the sort of the lionizing of Joe like it's not feminist to dismiss the feminine that Saoirse Ronan and Greta Gerwig mm. between them have mm. made me rethink Joe. I, I haven't reread it, so I read it I, as a child, so I don't remember it very clearly, apart from it being very sad, because the best one died. But I haven't seen the film yet, so I will watch it. And then I think maybe I'll reread it. Beth is your favourite. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe it's because of how upset it made Joe. Because now I do think Joe was my favourite. But I don't remember. I don't remember it very clearly. Sometimes, because when when you read a lot, and I don't know if you find this, I don't even remember character names. Like stuff just gets shoved out so quickly sometimes. I remember I really liked something but couldn't tell you why or who. I just go like, hmm, how did I spend all of that time with that in my hands? And now I'm going, the horse, I think. I remember that exactly. Not long after I read um, Norwegian Woods, um, Haruki Murakami, I was telling someone about, oh, I've just read this book. It's great. What happens? I couldn't Mm. tell you. There's a girl he likes, and there's another girl. There was definitely a man. Yeah. They're on a train. He, likes, he, he drinks point. tea. He does stretches in the morning. I do vaguely remember that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We'll be back with Sarah soon, but for now, here is a mini steal of the week. It's dumb, it's fun, and it's perfect for anyone whose concentration is shot to ribbons at the moment. It's The Stud by Jackie Collins. It's told by Tony, the titular stud, 
who is exhausted by the sexual demands of his glamorous employer, Fontaine. He wants to pursue the sweet, refined Alexandra. If you want to drink masses of champagne and enjoy some love in an elevator, which has shag carpeting all the way up the walls, and I always do, and there's drink and drugs and sex happening all over the place, it's yummy. It's steamy. I am quoting directly from French and Saunders sketch, Lucky Bitches. Probably ends with us all buying leopard print onesies and backcombing our fringes. That's The Stud by Jackie Collins, published by Simon and Schuster. Now back to Sarah. I think I heard you on um, Adam Buxton's podcast talking about Catch It in the Rye with Rich Diawadi. Yeah. And yeah. that's a book that I struggled with. Similarly, I mean, I would have been older than 15, maybe in my 20s when I read Catcher in the Rye, and it did not speak to me at all. And I didn't understand why people, especially if you felt kind of depressed and outside people, and that book was kind of forced into your hands by an adult going, this, understand you, is Salinger. And then reading it late 30s, and then just, I honestly think it's the most astonishing story it's the most astonishing what's astonishing is how the character thinks one thing and the author is telling you something else and it's just it's so clever in how we misjudge people we don't see them from a distance objectively we see them up in the room so we get things so wrong and um and it is he's a he's a, an ultimate tragic character he's the stage before an incel i guess in terms of his anger and and how he blames things and his frustration, but it's really, really, really amazing. What is the saddest? Yeah. Oh, I just read um um the saddest. Oh, um, a little life. Oh, my sister, one of them, was um just recommending that to me. So it's um it's the most I've ever cried in a book, and it's and um and uh so it's it's very long. It's very incredibly written. There's four male main characters. And I felt like I knew them. Like, I still feel like, oh, if I was to go to America, I've got these friends like, in New York. And I cried so much at one point. I was praying. And somebody came over to ask me if I was okay. Like, because I was crying so much. And I had to pretend to them that I was getting a divorce. Because oh I thought, God. I can't say, oh, it's just this book. You don't understand what's happened to this So I had to pretend just like, oh, no, no, I'm just going through a divorce. I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Um, so that's the saddest book I think but it's amazing but but I think it puts people up because what you hear is someone going oh my god this is the this is the worst thing I've ever read what they mean it's just it's just so tragic but it's really interesting about not just uh, male sexuality homosexuality but male domestic violence which you never really hear about and I think for people who do experience male intimate partner violence they're so struggling against the narrative, which is people who are affected women. So let's sort that out first. And it's not in any way a political book, but in terms of, again, an empathy and an understanding and exercise, it's also like hugely important. And it's another one that's a good big doorstop for the lockdown, kind of 900 pages. Wow. Yeah. Do you like that feeling of having a lot of um, book bang for your buck? Do you sort of get a, a nice big uh, book and settle in? I like both. I like a quick book that goes straight on the, the red pile where you feel like, whoa, I've achieved something today, read it. And then there is something about, and like with the Hilary Mantel, when you're loving it and you go, I've still got 800 pages to go. That's a lovely feeling to go, oh, I've got a long time to enjoy this. Um, how do you mm. organise your books? Do you have a system? 
I kind of do. I don't let books I haven't read touch books I've read. So they're completely separate. Um, and, and you don't get to go over to the red pile unless you're completely finished. So, so I've got some books that I'm halfway through that like uh, maybe they're non-fiction that stayed on the to read pile. Um, yeah, I've got to read and then I try to alternate fiction and non-fiction, but I much fiction is so much easier to read. I've always got a bigger pile of hard books I want to have un, want to have read, but that aren't hugely enjoyable to mm. read. So, so um, what's yeah. on that pile? Lots of books about economics. So I'm really interested in um, the theory about um, when you give everybody money. So, you know, mm. um, universal... Basic income. Universal basic income. That's what I'm really interested in. And the theory of how... Um, basically, economic theories that would make us have a more equal society and would stop the huge gap between um, rich people and poor people I'm really interested in those books, but then I find the actual maths and economics very dense. So I buy a lot of them and haven't read them. I can imagine how I know sometimes I can read things and I can really like hear my brain creaking. Be like, come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I once read, I got given a physics book by an ex-boyfriend years and years ago. And he was like, this will really help you understand string theory and particle physics and and I was like brilliant great and I thought I'd just be able to read it and understand and then like a little bit like when you pick up like a Stephen Hawking book which was so which was a, which was a bestseller so you think oh I'll be able to understand this and then you're at page three going like okay all of the words now don't mean anything to me <laughs> like I've you've already read lost this me sentence nine times and I understand it less every yeah. time I do I really would love one day either to write something or if someone else wants to write it that'd be great about um the way yeah. characters in novels are with money um I love ballet shoes oh. and one of the things I loved about ballet shoes was, yeah. was that sort of that they were quite young and they go and yeah. you know have the sort of creative life and become performers they're very talented but it's very much like economic necessity like oh, if we're in the panto that's a pound a week and we need that and we've got the lodges mm. and this sort of that, that really appealed to me as a kid <laughs> I don't know why oh yeah I think there's a, there's something about keep the astrogistra flying the George Orwell um, novel where um his poverty is described really brilliantly that thing where you have two cigarettes left for the day so you, you're literally thinking for two hours, I can't smoke one now because then I've only got one left and it's only one o'clock. And cups of tea and the fact that he's not allowed to eat or drink in his room. I read that book when I was very similarly poor. After my first job, I worked at the Millennium Dome and then the Millennium Dome closed. And then I worked in a Weatherspoons. And basically my after paying my rent, I had 10 pounds a week. So I really did have that thing where you eke out and you can't just buy stuff in the supermarket. You have to go, okay, well that, but like I used to buy bread and freeze it and I knew how to defrost it so I could make it last a week. All these kind of things. I'm really interested in that too, because there are some books and there's some TV shows where money's irrelevant. If it's not a plot point, then people just buy stuff. Whereas for the majority of people, all of your life's decisions are, what can we get? What do we have left over? what we are either saving for or and also like borrowing money and things like that like really common I do it's something I think about the whole time and it's such a silly but two things I will never ever ever take for granted in my life because there was a time when I couldn't like I know now yeah I can go to a cash point and touching all the wood unless things change dramatically if I can't get yeah. money out it's because the cash point's broken and before it's yeah. because I was and if it got rejected in and, a shop 
If you got yes. rejected in a shop, it's oh you've got a problem, not mm. oh god, yeah. And this, the dance I have you... that too. That and I that not feeling. Will it let me pay for this? Yeah, as you pay for something. Like that, yeah, that you always feel that tightness in your chest and sort of say a little prayer mm. to whoever. And, yeah. um, and and looking away, looking away from them, going please, 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 please. And like the luxury of contact lenses, and like if a disposable mm. one feels that because I only wear them. I'm wearing them now, but it's only sort of if it's just yeah. my face break from the glasses but you know before it'd be like yeah. I could maybe sort of have like one or two pairs a week and if one like broke or went down a drain I'm like well no I'll just have to um, I wouldn't wear my glasses when I went out though I just not see <laughs> oh really how bad are your eyes really quite bad <laughs> are you short-sighted so you're fine reading yeah I can sort of hold things up close yeah but no though there are lots of um I mean, it also it saved money on booze because I already had that sort of tipsy, like, oh, it's all beautiful flashing lights yeah. around. <laughs> but I think you'll say, right, and I, I get quite anxious now. And I think that's what, like reading I Capture the Castle and that's so, they're mm. so good on that. And the and things like, but it's the way as well when there's a little bit of money and things like, oh, mm. we've got enough, I can have hot water for my bath and that, the appreciated yeah. luxury. Oh, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who's interesting with money is Holly Golightly in um, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's mm. because she's a kind of sex worker. She goes out with men and they give her um, $50 the powder tips really. when she goes to the toilet. Yeah, so she goes to the toilet and they give her money for the toilet attendant and that's essentially the money for her time. And it's a character traits that I don't have but she's a kind of character in a novel who has nothing but then will buy a fur coat mm. and then has nothing again and like she she lives in this really risky way where you buy beautiful opulent things mm. or really expensive champagne and then the next day you've got no money to eat again and it's a kind of a disorder isn't it an emotional response yes. to a yeah. sort of a need to kind of have power over your own powerlessness there's a, a very yeah. different book but a book that I love so much and I think it's so underrated um former mm. podcast guest uh Sarah Manning Unsticky it's it's very very just smart and insightful and it's about a, a woman in her 20s and she works on a fashion magazine and earns about 12 grand a year and mm. just cannot make it work but she is surrounded by people who have so much inherited wealth and they don't even like notice what oh. their salary is because they're all on like these sort of they've got private incomes and she's living in this world and trying to keep up and and people who haven't had nothing don't understand it but it's almost the panic when you get the money and you know it's not going to last forever it's going to go it's actually simpler to go and it's gone again mm. uh, or you think or or you think that you don't deserve it or and yeah all of it's so crazy but it, and yeah it's like being addicted to alcohol or drugs knowing that the thing that's worst for you is the thing that's most compelling um the new marion keys i don't know if you've read that oh yet. yeah i haven't no my two two of my friends have just read it i think that's another really good lockdown one isn't it because it's so yeah um my friend ashling just read it and just absolutely loved it it is fantastic and the emotional side of bulimia is covered so well and it's one um, of the characters is yeah an adult woman with a family and it's a uh, just mm. the way it's so brilliant and I think it's because um Marion Keys um has you know written so movingly about sort of her own sort of alcoholism and mm. you know addiction yes yeah um 
but yeah I've never seen it sort of covered in that way before where it's like the opposite of all of those like YA books I read when I was yeah. in the 12th library that's like dying to be thin and sort of because yeah because people don't understand um, that, it's, that in so many ways it's a very normal behavior kind of um, gone slightly too far in one direction but it isn't a really extreme people think that oh a, a woman looks at a woman on a magazine and then goes okay I'm going to stick my fingers down my throat like as if it's always caused um, yeah it's, it's such an interest yeah it's such an interesting thing and such a difficult thing for so many people to live with it's so common as well and that's another one of those things bulimia where that um, it's completely kind of ignored when it happens in men. Yeah. On um, RuPaul's Drag Race, a couple of times, um, a couple of the queens have talked about their relationship with bulimia, because of course they live in an and work in an environment which is so focused on what you look like and aesthetics as well. And I imagine too, it's such a pressurised environment, and the highs and lows are so mm, yeah. dramatic. And again, it's another situation where you feel like so much of your own yeah. sort of well, what you want to do is like it's outside your control and out of your hands, and it's a thing you yes. can control yeah. when you can't control anything else. Unrelated, would you ever okay. write fiction? That's what I'm doing at the moment. I've just started writing a novel, um, but it's very early and I haven't pitched it yet. I've just written, I've just started writing, I've written about 10,000 words and um, but I've planned it out and I've wanted to write this book for a really long time, but it feels very much like, um, I, we all get, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, that's what I've got. And so I love books so much that it feels very difficult to start it but I just have to concentrate on the story at the moment yes yeah, so I do I'm desperate to write fiction yeah well I'm desperate to read this I don't know if it helps or not but um I wrote my first novel and it's coming out in spring 2021 if we're all still here then oh yeah oh congratulations thank you so much Listen. at least it's not now at least you've, at least you've got it for a while and things will have settled yes. down by the time it comes out I hope so I it took me so long because I've written um non-fiction books but the idea partly I was terrified of having to write the whole thing first but I really had that this is all I've ever wanted to do how can I possibly Mm. presume to I can't make up as I can make something up but I don't I don't think I can make something up where you get to the ending and think that ending warranted me spending 90,000 words here yeah I think that's it it's going oh I'm not trying to write the best book in the world I'm just trying to write this story but it is it does it feels completely different to non-fiction because non-fiction feels like a conversation still writing a book feels like such a it does feel like an arrogant thing to do because but my job is stand-up which is really arrogant because essentially stand-up is going okay you should listen to me and a book is like you should listen to me and can you carry me around in your handbag (laughs) and yeah spend hours of your life listening so it is it's so arrogant so of course we struggle I feel that way about podcasting and that sort of demanding people's yeah. ears but I was thinking about um you telling stories about your imaginary hamster and Lynn Reed Banks and oh, Eugenie yeah. and was that do you think that was the genesis of a stand-up of taking yes. something that had a sort of root and truth yeah. and being able to project and twist and dream and yeah it's, ex- it's exactly that um so I was a pathological liar at school and that is what became stand-up comedy. And now I'm very honest in my real life. Like I'm very much about truth and authenticity and, and that's how you connect with people. And, um, but as a teenager, I wanted people to like me so much that I thought if I said certain things that would make it happen. And, and absolutely, I know that that's the storytelling part of my brain. 
And stand-up is exactly that. Like, you know when you go into a shop and someone's rude and you think an hour later what you should have said? Stand-up comedy, you say that you said that. Stand-up comedy, you go on stage, you go, I was in a shop, they said this, and I was like, do-do-do-do, and everyone laughs and claps. <laughs> and that isn't what happened. Like, you get to, it's a, uh, an improved, it's an improved truth. And so, yeah, it's exactly the same part of the, of, of the brain, I think. Oh, well, I'm going to, as a fangirl, nerdily ask you about something, because I think it's one of my, the best jokes I've seen in my life. And it made me laugh so hard. And it's because I'm like, this is exactly what happened to me. I saw you um, doing stand up. Um, but it's a joke that you did um, about you going on a breakup trip to Costa Rica and getting on the plane. Oh, yeah. And yes. thinking, oh, hold on, why is it 14 hours? I thought we were going to Spain. Yeah. <laughs> just... Yeah, I thought, I thought, I booked the holiday really quickly after a breakup in like a lunch break. I was filming a pilot and then I thought, I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have anywhere to live. I'll just go away. And I booked it on the lunch break and just didn't look about where Costa Rica was because I thought it was the Costa del Sol, essentially. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I I told that story on Would I Lie to You? And then the Costa Rica tourist board used a clip of it to show how stupid Europeans were. (laughs) Someone said to me on Facebook, have you seen this? And it's like the Costa Rica tourist board's Facebook saying they're so stupid, they don't even know we're not in Spain. On that note, I think that's the the perfect place. And I've had so much okay. fun. I'm sorry about the crackly sound, oh, but it's just too. I absolutely, absolutely cannot wait for your for your book. And yeah, please know that oh, there's at least one other person who's like I just when I was ten thousand words in, I was like, I, I can't I can't do this. <laughs> Am I to do this? Yeah. But you know, I just, I love your voice and I love your writing so much. And I think it's going to be wonderful. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. And best of luck with yours as well when it comes out. I hope all of the kind of the, the world is much more normal and you get to do lots of promo. And that's very exciting. You should be hugely proud of yourself. It was lovely talking to you, Daisy. Really lovely talking to you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Huge thanks to Sarah for shelf-isolating with us. And do try to get your hands on her first book, Animal, and Sarah's latest, Sex, Power, Money. Like her, it's funny and it's smart and it will absolutely change the way you see the world. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Thank you so much for listening. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Follow us on social media at YBooked. That's the letter Y in Booked. I hope you're all keeping as safe and sane and well and cheerful as it's possible to at the moment. Please keep reading. I'll see you next time. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.